0: give the band a hand and uh and especially this guy right here brad love this guy found out i was preaching i was like makes me a little nervous play my favorite song agnes day he's like no problem love to do that for you so i don't know how many years it's been since i've heard that song played live and (sighs) i could just go home now in peace so hey uh um just want to Thank you guys for coming out today. And, and just kind of getting into this, I just wanted to share a little bit about my story. <clears throat> I have two absolutely wonderful daughters. They're all grown up, yeah? They're all grown up. They all have families of their own, and I've got plenty of grandkids. And, but here's a funny thing. I never wanted kids. And, uh, and I, I will say this. It's not that I didn't want kids... I never got to a point in my life where I wanted kids because I, you know, kind of looking at my life, you know, and things go linear. I'm like, okay, one day I'm going to fall in love and I'm going to get married and we're going to have kids. And while Nancy and I met and started dating and got engaged and we talked about kids, we knew that we wanted two kids And, uh, and we also knew we wanted to wait five years before we started having kids. Well... Nancy got pregnant about 5 months into our marriage and can you blame her? <laughs> but <laughs> now, now my mom, my mom, I've never met anybody in my life that loves babies as much as my mom does. And up to this point, she didn't have any grandchildren, so she was all excited. Nancy and I were kind of on the fence like I don't know about this. And and so back in those days when it was like 30 some years ago. We've been married 38 years. You didn't like take a home pregnancy test. You went to the doctor to find out if you were pregnant. So my mom was so excited. She's like, I'm going to go with you. So she went to the doctor's appointment with my wife. I went to work. Don't judge me. That's the way things worked back then. So, so my mom goes to this doctor's appointment with my wife and you know, her excitement is contagious, I guess. So my wife calls me at work to let me know, yes, we are pregnant. And I kind of paused. And I remember a little streak of fear going inside of me, going, I don't want to say the wrong thing right now. So I was like, are you excited? And she said, yeah. And I said, then I'm excited too. So, so now Nancy comes home, we start talking about, babies and we have one on the way and and just kind of pulling out all of our baby photos and all of our children photos and you know and I'm looking at all these photos and the thing that just kept coming to my mind cuz my wife was such an adorable baby she was such an adorable little girl I kept thinking I don't care if we if we have a boy that's great if we have a girl I want her to look just like you I don't want her to be a a, a fat little baby with big ears and a bald head, where the nicest thing that people said about me as a baby was, oh, he's got a well-shaped head. So I'm just like, I want her to look like you. And so after 21 hours of labor, and they had to do an emergency cesarean, they rushed the baby into the nursery, and I run up to that window, and I looked. And I'm telling you, my oldest daughter was the spitting image of Nancy and I'm just looking there like I was so disappointed because I'm looking at her going I don't see any of me in her (laughs) anybody could have been her dad this obviously is a Nancy's baby but I was just disappointed there wasn't even like a little bit right but then we had another one our final child we have two daughters and as she was growing up it was like looking in a mirror. I mean, she had not just one or two. She had all of my bad traits. It, was, it really was like looking in a mirror. And I remember when she was going to school and she's struggling and stuff like that. And we thought, we need to get this kid tested. Something's wrong. So, so we go and, and they give us this test that we had to do all this checklist stuff for whether she was ADD. And we're just check, check, check. And we get to the bottom of this, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's been my problem my whole life. I am totally ADD. So I, I forget what we decided about her, but for sure I, I needed some treatment. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, she was ADD, right? She was devious. She was sarcastic. She was always had to be the center of attention. And just like me, she grew up. To be one of the most wonderful people you will ever know. So so again, as our kids are growing up and we're watching them grow up, right? We could see in them the best of us as a couple. We could see in them the worst of us as a couple. And whether it's DNA or whether it's nature uh, or nurture, environment, they were us. And I will tell you, after 38 years of marriage, right, my wife has told me on more than one occasion, you're turning into your dad. Okay, but here's the truth. I am my dad. I I mean, there's times in your life where you compare yourself to your dad, but there's like a 25-year gap there. I've always been my dad. I'm just kind of closing that gap. And now, now it's evident how much I'm like my dad. And my kids are like us, me and Nancy. That's kind of where I want to begin this sermon today is, is just, I want to begin this as just being a reflection of someone. Being a reflection, because for all intents and purposes, this sermon today is really just a simple gospel message. But hopefully it's going to bring some insight into what all that means for you, because it was for me. You know, when I really began to understand and really look at what all transpired at creation, and then how that affected everything in light of the fall. It made all the scripture make sense to me. It made all of reality make sense to me. So I titled this message, The Rise and Fall of Mankind, because I wanted it to just be kind of a subtle, understated title. But it's also one of my favorite topics, because it really, for me, it really clarified what it means to be a Christ follower. What it really means to be running after and fulfilling your purpose in this life. So we start with the rise. The rise. What happened in the creation story? And I'm going to give you a very brief overview, which chapter one really is a brief overview of the creation story. But there is so much going on here. Right? I mean, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was out form and it was void. And darkness was all over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Boom, boom, boom. Now day one, God speaks. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness. And day two, God said, let there be an expanse. The heavens. So God separated the waters from above. And the waters below day three, God said, "Let the waters under heavens be gathered together and bring up dry land and, 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 and trees and vegetation And he goes on um, to, to, to create the, the seasons and the years. Day five, let it swarm, let the ocean swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth." And God spoke and it was so. In day six, God said, and let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And he spoke, and it was so. And then there is like this pause. And there's like this boom, boom, boom moment, right? In this boom, boom, boom moment, we get introduced to the Trinity for the first time. And we get invited into this conversation that God is having with himself. If we listen in, it says this, um, you know, then God said, there we go. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps in this earth. So we get introduced to the Trinity. Let us make man in our image. To be like us. And just a couple of quick dictionary um, definitions. The word image. It's a picture or a reflection of something. Like looking in a mirror. We are created to be image bearers. A mirror image of God himself. Representative. To be like us. To represent him. And representative means standing or acting for another, especially through delegated authority. And that's exactly what God did on us. He gave us dominion. He gave us rule over creation and placed everything under man's dominion. So this defines, if you ever wonder what your purpose is, this defines your purpose for which we were all created. We were created to be image bearers. We were created to be his representatives And to stand in his place, we were delegated the authority over creation. Like I said, that is just a brief overview of what took place. And and so if you go to chapter 2 of Genesis, it revisits the creation story, but kind of fills in some blanks and and just kind of gives us a little more detail. And we see something really special happening in chapter 2, and that is how he created man. In Genesis 2, it says... Then God, the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature and the Lord God planted a garden and there he put the man whom he had formed. This is such a beautiful picture for me because it's kind of like you're looking at chapter one and it's like, you know, and he spoke and it was there and he spoke and he spoke and he spoke and then here it's like the Lord God formed man in it from the dust of the ground. It's like he rolled up his sleeves. He's like, for this, this is is something different. I'm going to get my hands dirty. This is personal to me. So not only did he form them with his hands, he breathed life into this pile of dirt and brought it forth. Again, he didn't just speak us into existence. It was personal. So there's definitely something different, something unique going on here. And Isaiah also chimes in a little bit with why we were created. And this really was very insightful for me. Um, about 15 years ago, I was going through a discipleship book. You know, and you, you go through and read stuff and then fill in the blanks. and So I came across a question, and, uh, and it said this. It said, out of God's infinite wisdom and capacity, God designed And he created you. Why? So here it is. This is why God created us, right? So let's take a look at that verse. Um, It's Isaiah 43, 7. And it says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So what answer do you come up with? Why did God create us, according to Isaiah? Somebody. For his glory. Created for his glory. First of all, to be honest with you, I absolutely hate questions like that. Right? It's kind of like they make the answer so obvious, and then they ask you to answer the question. And it's almost like, are you paying attention? You know, read this passage. Jesus wept. Who wept? I mean, my wife kind of did that last night on the way home from my sister's house in the car. We're driving home, and she's like, are you listening to me? And I thought, what a strange way to begin a sentence. <laughs> so, so anyway, we're created for his glory. So there it is, black and white, great. We can move on to the next question and finish this chapter. And I thought, what does that even mean? What does that mean, that we're created for God's glory? And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my walk where I kind of felt like God is kind of this very arrogant being in the sky. He created us to worship him. He created us for his glory. And to me, right, and I don't know if it was for you, but at that point, for me, I pictured glory kind of like your your football coach, right? You just won the championship. You throw him on your shoulder, and you parade him around going, hey, everybody, isn't this guy great? Look what he's done for us. Woo! Isn't he great? Everybody. And I thought, that's kind of arrogant. And I thought, I'll do a study on that. So I started to do a study on glory and what that means. And, And it really came down to this that you take all of God's attributes, right? And there's way too many to list here, but we'll just go over a few. He's unique. There is nothing like him. There is nothing equal to him. He is infinite. He never had a beginning or an end. He's omnipotent, meaning he is all-powerful and nothing could overtake him. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is loving. He is kind. He is merciful. He is righteous. He is holy. He is just. He is good. And I could go on, but you you take his attributes and you bring them together, and that sums up his character. This is who God is. And his glory is the revealing of his character. We were created to reveal his character to all of creation and to one another. And and in that understanding, for me, it even made hell make sense. Because my old way of thinking was like when God condemns someone to hell, it's kind of like, Oh, well, good for you, God. Good for you. He's going to suffer for eternity. But when I wrapped it around this mindset, it was like, okay, yeah. When God condemns someone to hell, it absolutely glorifies him because it is revealing an aspect of his character, and that is the holiness, the righteousness, the justice. And it can be a heart-wrenching decision it can be a heartbreaking decision but it absolutely glorifies god you see everything was created for his glory and everything was created for his glory so we could know him and he has always made himself known romans 119 and 20 it says for what can be known about god is plain to them, us, everyone, human beings, because God has shown it to them. So what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that we are without an excuse. The universe reveals God's glory. So that no one is without an excuse that there is a God. Right? You look at the universe, what do we see? It is like, it's awe-inspiring. Ah, it is huge. It is creative. There is order in it. There is intelligence in its design. So we're without an excuse that there is a God, but who is this God is a completely different question. So he created us. He created us so that we could reveal him to all creation, who he was, and we could reveal that to one another. But something tragic happened, and that is the fall. Eating of the forbidden tree, the fall. What happened at the fall? Well, mankind fell because we didn't want everything as it ought to be any longer. And so everything was cursed. All of creation was cursed. Mankind was cursed. Relationships were cursed. Everything was broken due to the fall. And therefore, we could no longer represent God rightly. In fact, we made ourselves enemies of God. And this simple but complex choice of eating from a single tree destroyed the proper order of things and it invited chaos into this wonderful creation that was once good and very good. And I'll say many people have asked me, why do you think God gave us a choice? I wish he wouldn't have given us a choice. Yeah, I wish that too. But why did he give us a choice? And I've heard people kind of go, well, you know, it's because he wanted us to choose to love him and not just be robots. That's part of it. But I think the part of it really is, it really comes down to this. He gave man, when he placed him in the garden, he gave man all authority over creation. But then he placed a tree in the middle of the garden as a reminder of who really has the authority he gave us authority over creation and just said are you content with being subject to my authority and here is a funny thing or a peculiar thing two of them about that tree of the garden of the knowledge of good and evil number one I don't think it was a tree of the knowledge of good we knew good The only thing that was gained by eating of that tree was that it disrupted the proper balance of things where God and creation were in their rightful places. The only thing we gained was knowing what all of this looks like when things are not as they ought to be. And another thing I find peculiar about that tree was there was nothing really externally enticing about that tree. There really was nothing externally enticing about that tree. And we'll get to that in just a second. But we all know the story. And if you don't, I will go really quickly. The serpent came into the garden and and really brought into question to Adam and Eve, really brought into question the character of God the creator of the universe, the one that obviously they had relationship with, that had blessed them with life and with every need and everything was taken care of. So when God placed Adam in the garden, he instructed him that he could eat from any tree of the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you do, bad things are going to happen and ultimately death. You have free reign to do whatever you want. So let's see, when God placed Adam into the garden, this is, this is the passage. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up. Every tree, so every tree of the garden sprung up, and it was pleasant to the sight, and it was good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he goes on to say, You know, the serpent dies. He's like, look, look, I know what God said, but you're not going to die. You're not going to die if you eat of that tree. God is lying to you. He is holding something back. And what that is is that you're no longer going to be subject to God. You're going to be like him. So let's look at the next passage in, in, in Genesis 3. So the serpent says... To them, he says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree, the forbidden tree, was what it was good for food and a delight for the eyes, and that's exactly how all the other trees were described in the garden good for food, pleasant to the eyes, but that this tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit, she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who ate with her. The difference wasn't something externally enticing, it was something internally enticing. The temptation was internal. It was really was a wrongly placed desire of wanting to be like God, wanting to usurp God's authority. And I will say, we can look at this in many different facets of life, right? In different areas. And I just want to say, God is never trying to keep amazing and beautiful things from us. He wants us to enjoy his creation. Going back to, just everything is yours. He wants us to enjoy his creation. He wants us to have life and have it abundantly he also wants us to have it in its rightful place the way that he created it for us to enjoy and when we step outside of that when we start believing that we have control we can manage the outcomes we can control the consequences that's when things fall apart again God isn't trying to deceive us of anything good he's letting us know how things ought to be and how we should rightly approach it because when we step out of that order, chaos and destruction comes. And again, I can pick a lot of different areas of life, but I'm just going to choose sexual relationship. It's a beautiful thing that God created. It's a pleasurable thing. And when it's done in its right order of things, it's amazing. It's the way it ought to be. You know, within a marriage commitment that I have pledged my life for your life, and you have pledged your life for my life. And no one is going to come between this commitment and this bond that we have made. But, again, when it's not done in its proper order, chaos and trouble ensues. I will say, people sometimes think that they can, they can control the outcomes, but I will say, when people step outside of that marriage bond, marriages are destroyed. Families are ripped apart. And people think, well, I'm not married, so I don't have to wait. No, God says, wait. Because when you don't, it creates all kinds of chaos too. Abortion is is just an incredible byproduct. Disease. Self-esteem and value. And I've seen so many people's lives ruined because they've given themselves away and feel at some point that I have nothing to give of value except for my body. And then when your beauty fades, you've got nothing. Or somebody that has had so many encounters, it, it's almost impossible for them to really be intimate with someone. He's not withholding something beautiful. He is trying to stave off disaster. Everything is broken because of the fall. We can no longer truly and rightly represent God. But God didn't change the standard. God still expects us to represent him rightly. The scriptures say in 1 Peter, be holy as I am holy. And in Matthew it says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So why is the standard perfection, whoops, ah, I did that last time too, I don't know. I, where are we? I don't know, something got messed up, sorry. I'm not a professional here, people, I'm sorry. All right, so now we go. So why is the perfection still, Why is perfection the standard when it's impossible? Why would it be? Because here's the thing. We can't represent God if we're not perfect. And I will say, if we fall short of perfection, we have lost our purpose. People use the fall. People use the brokenness and the evil of this world all the time to question the goodness of God, to question God's love, and even to question God's power. And because of evil in this world, people feel empowered to put themselves in a judgment seat and sit and judge God, to judge his character, to to judge his compassion. If God really cared, he would stop this. And obviously, I'm more compassionate than God because... I question his character. People put themselves in that judgment seat because of the evil that mankind commits. And I'll say, doesn't that kind of confirm the fact that we were created to represent God? Because when we do horrible evils in this world, people question the character of God. And in a twisted way, that shows that we represent him. And I will say too, that is why I don't have a problem with evil. Now, I don't like evil, but I don't have a problem with it in light of God's warnings and in light of the fall. God warned us, everything is good, everything is in its place. And if things get out of balance, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. And in Starting Point, when I used to teach Starting Point years ago, The first week, I always asked that question. It was like, if you could ask God one question, what would that question be? And inevitably, almost everybody had to deal with evil and God. Why does he allow it? Why doesn't he stop it? Something to that regard. But I think we struggle with evil because we have a poor understanding of what the scriptures tell us at its very core about evil, death, sickness, and everything else. And that is that God warned us. God has always warned whoever he instructed of the consequences that faced them. And when everything was in its rightful place and when everything was good, it was very good. And we were warned that if we stepped out of that natural order of God's authority, that things will not and cannot work as they're supposed to be. So again, if evil isn't disgusting, if evil doesn't repel us and just basically make our skins crawl and just repulse our souls, then is God really that good? If evil isn't that bad, is God really that good? And let me give you a little illustration for you carnivores out there. Um, If I was to present to you a perfectly cooked filet mignon, which is supposed to be the the, the best cut of meat, and I presented to you a perfectly cooked filet mignon and said, this, this is good, this is very good. And then I presented to you a perfectly cooked New York steak and said, this is bad. This is nowhere near as good as this. Most of us would go, yeah, okay, you know, whatever, but I'd settle for the New York steak. But if I said, here is a perfectly cooked filet mignon, and here is a handful of live maggots, there really is no choice anymore, right? It's like, that makes me want the filet mignon even more. And likewise, evil should drive us to absolutely desire God, not push him away. And our reaction to evil in light of God's character says more about our hearts than it does say about the character of God. Like I said, evil should drive us toward Him, toward wanting everything to be in its rightful place again. And there is a solution. What did God do about all of this? For one, He never stopped revealing Himself. And we need to understand, God is, God didn't just create life. God is life. He is the source of life. He sustains life. And without him, there isn't. And he never stopped revealing himself to us. He created the universe so we would know he's there. He created us so we could know who he is. And then after the fall, and there's more instances, but he he chose Israel. He chose Israel to reveal himself to all the nations because back then there really were no atheists. Everybody believed in a God, whether it was the God of the Nile, the God of the Sun, or or whatever. Everybody believed in a God. So God chose Israel and said, Here, I want you to live differently, and I'm going to bless you so that all the other nations will look at your God and go, He is the true God. So He chose Israel so that He would be known. He inspired the scriptures to be written so we could know. He preserved them through many persecutions. And finally, he came in the flesh. Jesus was begotten. So that mankind could finally and truly know who God is perfectly through the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you know me, you know the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he represented God Perfectly. Perfection is the standard. Perfection is the standard. So when we sin, we fall short. We fall short of that standard. And therefore, we no longer fulfilled our purpose. In a sense, too, what do you do with a DVD player that doesn't work anymore and doesn't play DVDs? No longer fulfills its purpose, let's throw it in the trash heap. And that's what we deserve. Because we have fallen short, and then we fall short again, and we fall short again. And then you think, well, maybe I could do something good to make up for my shortcomings. And let's just be honest. If you're only doing the bare minimum of what's required of you, you're not really doing good. You're doing the bare minimum of what is required of you. Perfection is the bare minimum of what is required of you. So, in order to really do something good, you would have to go above and beyond perfection. That's the problem. We can't make up for our shortcomings. So, what did God do about it? For one, He brought two things together that are impossible to bring together, and that is the cross. Where he fully poured out his mercy upon us, fully. And he fully poured out his justice. Those things are incompatible. If you're in a court of law and someone has really done you wrong, and you go there seeking justice, and the judge says, You know, I'm in a good mood today, I'm gonna show some mercy, you go ahead and go free you would be incensed that justice was not served. And if that judge said, I am going to prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law, there is no room for mercy. God brought these two impossible things together at the cross where justice was fully served because our penalty was put on Jesus. And Jesus took our punishment Upon himself. And he gave us. Mercy. He gave us. Jesus perfectly lived human life. That perfectly represented God. In every way. And all we need to do. Is receive that. By submitting. To ourselves to God. Allowing him to transform our hearts. Transform our minds. Transform our affections and I just want to tell you if you haven't given your life to the Lord yet it really does not matter what you've done no matter where you are right now God desires you to come back into a right relationship with him where everything is in its proper order and many people simply just want a savior they don't want anything to change in their life. They don't want the authority structure to change. They still want to be in control and make the decisions. But they want all the blessings and forgiveness and everything that comes with being a child of God. And I'll say, if, if all you want is a Savior, Jesus is not your Savior. He has to be your Lord as well. I just want to just tell you, just quit fighting it. Quit fighting over the rightful authority that belongs to the Lord, including your life. The Bible is clear that those people who have not submitted the authority back to the Lord are fighting against God and are his enemies. I also want to say this. Giving your life to Christ isn't saying that you've got everything figured out. And that you're confident that you can live up to everything that was said here today. But what you are promising is that you're going to wrestle with this story for the rest of your life. That you're going to wrestle to keep God as the authority in your life for the rest of your life. And to the best of your ability. And even though we will not live this life out perfectly... God declares us forgiven because of the cross and because he sees us for who we really are. He sees us for who we really are. And you can have confidence in that. Because here's the thing. When I look at my life, I know my shortcomings. My wife doesn't think I have any, but I really do. I know my shortcomings. I know my issues. And I know I'm not perfect. And I sometimes think, how in the world, when that time comes and I stand before the Lord, that he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant, because I have not been faithful to him all the time. But the reality is, I see time linear. I see myself right now in this moment of time with all the struggles and everything else going on in my life and all my flaws, God is outside of time. He sees the finished product. This is part of the process. He knows who I'm going to be when I'm standing before him, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and all my sin has been dealt with. It just kind of reminds me as a dad, you know, when you take those training wheels off the bike for your kids and you, and you give them a little push, and they go about 15 feet down the street and then they fall over and start crying. And as a dad, you hover over them and you go, you're a horrible kid! You're never going to learn to ride a bike! We should just throw the thing away! No, that's not what we do. <laughs> we pick them up, we brush them off, and we gently give them another push. Because we've been there, we've been through that and we know that in a couple of months from now we're going to be yelling at them to slow down, quit making those jumps and you're going to hurt yourself and they're going to be whipping around the neighborhood in no time. Because we know what the finished product is going to look like. That's how God deals with us. We're not perfect, we're not going to be perfect, but we're trying and when we fall over God picks us up, and he brushes us off, and he goes, I know you got this. I know how this is going to end. So again, if you haven't given your life to Christ, all it really is is just saying, okay, I'm tired. I want you to have the authority. I want things back in the rightful place, and I will fight for that for the rest of my life. And if you have given your life to Christ, and you struggle, but, but you're struggling, that's the thing. You haven't given in to sin and just embraced it. You're struggling through it. Well, you're the kid on the bicycle, and God's brushing you off. And one day he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, because of your faith in the work of my son. So if you just want to pray with me right now, oh, Lord, Father God, We humbly come before you because we know we really can't do anything about our situation except fall on our knees and ask you for your forgiveness and ask you to take control of our lives and that we truly want to follow you. We truly want to represent you rightly in every area, in every relationship of our lives. Lord, just give us the strength to continue. And give us the strength to continue the fight. And let us follow you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you. Amen. Thank amen. you, Pastor Brandt. Will we give, it a, give him a round of applause? <clears throat> He's up here sweating. Yeah. If you don't know Brent, um, it could be like 40 degrees outside. He'll be sweating still. It's not hot. It's just he has a malfunction. I'm just kidding. Thank you, Brent. We love you. And that was fantastic. So if you're new here, I want to welcome you. I want to say thank you for joining us a day after Christmas. I hope today felt like Christmas for you. Um, Hopefully you get um, presents today, even just for being here. I don't know that that's going to happen, but I hope That's what happens for you. If you are new here, go ahead and fill out this orange card. It says, I'm new here. And what I'm going to do with this, you fill out the card, put all your information. I'm going to spam you for the next couple of weeks. No, I'm just kidding. We won't spam you. That takes a lot more work than I want to put into that. But we will recognize that you did this. We want to at least say hi, introduce ourselves. We want to get to know you, and we want to really be friends and family with you. So we will reach out to you at least once, and then we'll call it good for there. And then if you don't reply and you ghost us, we won't be offended. That'll be okay. Um, So if you're new here, again, welcome. Also for the youth, a lot of you are sitting over here. I'm glad you're here. Yep, you're not sinners today. Good job. Uh, I will see you guys next Sunday. We will return to youth. And uh, that that Wednesday after, we have two new series. You're going to love it. And if you don't love it, you're not allowed to come anymore. You have to pick a different church. For the parents of those youth... I was joking about that, by the way. For the parents, we have something great that's going on in January. January 22nd, there is a parents conference. These speakers are key speakers. They travel around the nation and speak about parenting. Look, if you're a parent, get the help when it's offered. It's not often that we get speakers like this to get to come to our church and, and teach us on things. Some of like These are some of the foremost experts in the world on, on parenting. And your kids would truly love it if you become a better parent. So... Make sure that if you can, that you do attend this parent conference, January 22nd, that's a Saturday. You do need to register for that, um, so make sure you do that. And then finally, we have our next series. I don't know if you've ever had this, but have you ever like been hearing Pastor Greg speak and, and, he's, and he's preaching and you're just like, I wish I could just choose the questions that he's going to answer and I wish I could choose the topics and everything that he's preaching on? Has anybody ever wondered that? Pastor Greg's watching. Okay, nobody. Well, you get to do that for this next series. You get to be part of this next series. So what I want you to do is there's a card. It should have been on your seat. It says questions and answers. Write down your questions on here and then give it to me or give it to brand or pass it uh, put it in the box on your way out and then we're going to take those questions and we're going to think about them and see if we can figure out if we know the answer no we're going to bring those answers to our next series so your questions will be for our next series and you get to be part of that so make sure that you fill these out and put your questions on there and then you get to be part of the next series that's pretty exciting all right, well, that's all I have for you today, so I'm going to pray for you, and then you, all can, you, you can have a wonderful rest of your year. I'll see you next year. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for everything you've done for us. Thank you for Christmas. You gave us the greatest gift we could ever ask for, and it wasn't coal. Thank you, Lord. I just pray for every person that's here today. I pray, I pray that you would bless the rest of their year, and they would go into 2022, and they would actually accomplish those New Year's resolutions that they set even after the first three weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.